Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hi, I'm Kim Salmon. I'd like to have a quick word about uh, public radio, particularly 3CR. The thing about public radio is that it's more open than the more formatted types of radio to what's going on around it. So when you listen to it, you're more likely to hear a reflection of real life. And 3CR being in the heart of Smith Street, Collingwood, is a particularly good example of what I'm talking about. If you'd like to uh, subscribe, the number is 94198377. You've been listening You're listening to the Arabuck Radio Show here on 3CR, streaming, podcasting, or listening on the transistor on the dial. Many thanks to Amy Goodman and Democracy Now!, all that's up and that's happening in the USA. We've got a great show coming up. We've got one of those eternal questions that cyclists who climb hills must always ask themselves, and that is, why am I doing this? And we're going to make the show about it, the whole show about it. Why? With a wonderful guest, Matt. Good to have you along for the tandem. Thanks for having me along, guys. That's all right. And Faith, hope you are well. Good morning, Val. Hey, what a time. So many bike moments to be had. Faith, <laughs> do you want to kick off? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's... um. Oh, I, I, maybe I've done this one. I decided not being particularly fond of indoor riding. Um, I think last year I did a bit of Zwift in lockdown too. But, um, and this lockdown I, I got back on sort of thinking, well, you know, that's all there is now. And um, really, really struggled. So I've, I've resorted to badge hunting it's any any badge will do just as long as every day there is some small tiny sense of achievement i like it that's good <laughs> i'm going to change i'm going to change my unachievable goals to something much more sensible <laughs> small and achievable <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, oh, i've got to say i think for once um Matt, I can be a little bit obsessed about, uh, I once read a wonderful quote, there is beauty in silence and silence is beauty and you should find both in a bicycle. So I think I've finally got a very old bike of mine to run silently and it has absolutely been wonderful. <laughs> now, Matt, I know you've probably got a thousand bike moments, probably bike hours, I would imagine. Have you got something to share with us? I do. Uh, one of the things that I've been using throughout the last few lockdowns to keep me sane um, is uh, a website called Wanderer, which is, uh, you guys might have heard of it, but basically you go out riding and for every unique bit of road or trail that you ride, you get points. And like you were saying, Faith, it's kind of a, 
little achievements every day, trying to tick off new bits of my 5K radius and um, do that sort of thing, which I've been enjoying. Uh, but I had a moment the other day where it felt like that just got a bit too... It's got a bit sick of riding up and down cul-de-sacs and one-way streets and you know, up and down courts and stuff. So decided not to do that. I didn't create a route. I just went out for a ride. And it just happened to be um, the first day of spring. I don't know if you remember, but it was a beautiful, warm day. It was the first day in months with no jacket and no gloves. And it was, yeah, it was just beautiful having nothing else to think about or worry about. And it was one of those moments on the bike where it felt like there was some sort of you know, balance in the universe and everything just felt fine for the first time in a long time. So that was a very good moment. No, lovely moment. Transcended moment, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Val. The freedom of not um, having six layers on and re- having to remember everything before you leave the house. And it's so ephemeral, Matt. It's there for a second, you know, but it lasts for a long time. It, that is the true essence of a bike moment, I've got to say. That absolutely unexpected, startling thing that pops out of nowhere. So for listeners at home, Matt, um, maybe we should introduce you properly. Our guest today is Matt Denaith, the climbing cyclist. Some people may know him as also a managing editor with Cycling Tips and um, author of a new book coming out called Everesting published with uh, Hardy Grant quite soon, I think. Right, yeah, end of September. So maybe we should um, start at the beginning and um, tell us a bit about yourself and how The Climbing Cyclist came about. Yeah, so I think like most people in Australia, I grew up riding bikes around the neighbourhood and did that with mates for a long time. Um, and in high school, I used to go on this, uh, this camp we just called it bike camp with a bunch of other students. And there was a, a key moment on that camp each year where we'd ride up a, a 2K hill and it was kind of the, um, I guess, yeah, an important moment on this camp where everyone would be nervous beforehand talking about it and we'd see who the strongest riders were. And I remember always loving that moment of getting to just ride up this this steep hill and challenge myself and um, have that satisfaction of getting to the top, regardless of you know how fast I was or whatever. It was a cool challenge. Um, and so I kind of always had this interest in riding bikes and riding uphill. And then, um, I guess fast forward to when I was at journalism school and, uh, we were given the task of creating uh, a website about a subject that interested us. And I was just getting into road cycling, uh, at the time, having watched the tour de France and, um, and yeah, I was getting into the sport and I figured, well, I like the idea of riding uphill, but there's not that many resources out there to uh, show people which climbs are around and what they're like and what to expect from them. So for this university subject, I created a blog that basically went through and documented all the climbs around uh, Victoria, um, focusing on the Dandenongs as a a starting point, then looking at the the bigger climbs around Victoria, your Mount Hothams, your Mount Bullers, Buffalo, that kind of thing. And once the uni subject finished, the site just kind of kept growing and um, it's been over a decade now that it's been running and I don't update it all that often, but it still sits there as a resource for people. And um, yeah, just as a guide of great cycling climbs around Victoria and um, yeah, made some friend, a lot of friends through that and run a bunch of events and 
I know people still get a lot of value out of it today as a as a resource. So it's pretty cool. It's a great resource. It's um one I still send people to if if they're looking for clients or, or new to the area. Like it's mm. really uh, good documentation and descriptions of rides. Yeah. And so if we go move forward a bit, um, Everesting, how mm. did uh, your interest in Everesting develop? We've had a few Everesters on the show over the years, but um, mm. you've uh, sort of been involved or aware of it since the beginning pretty much. Yeah. Um, one of my best mates, Andy Van Bergen, who I worked with at Cycling Tips and who I knew uh, through through cycling, through my blog for a long time, he was running a bunch of um, annual events through his cycling group called Hells 500. And um, I had the pleasure of being involved in some of them over the years. And then in late 2013, he put out an email to a small group of people in that Hells 500 group saying that the upcoming 2014 epic was going to be this thing that he'd called Everesting. And, um, you know, the idea was pretty simple, just ride repeats of the same hill or mountain as many times it took to reach the equivalent height of Mount Everest. And it was based on an article from a guy called George Mallory, who you know, people recognize that names obviously got connotations with Everest itself. And uh, George Mallory Jr. had written this piece um, on Cycling Tips website, incidentally, about um, how he did this Everesting ride on Mount Donabuang, east of Melbourne, um, back in uh, the, the early 90s. He wrote the article in 2012, and he saw that, and it helped inform the creation of Everesting. And um, so I was invited to take part in that initial Everesting group in early 2014 and actually turned it down because I thought it would be just so far beyond my abilities as a writer that I didn't even bother trying. Um, but over the next uh, seven years, I guess I watched as more and more people did it and the phenomenon grew beyond its you know, Melbourne roots and became this national and then global phenomenon that tens of thousands of people have, have now attempted. Um, and I'd reported on it through cycling tips and been closely following it and been great mates with Andy and then, um, in early 2020, an old colleague of mine, uh, Paul Delgano, who I used to work with at a website called The Conversation, um, he suggested that there was a book to be written about this phenomenon. He's a, a great author and um, cyclist himself, and we were going to work on this project together and uh, write this book together. And in the end, he had other writing projects that he had to, to focus on. But with his blessing, I went ahead and started writing this book in May of last year. So basically set out to try and tell the history of the thing and how it's grown and what it is and what's involved in Everesting and um, had a crack at one myself along the way, finally, <laughs> after seven years of putting the thing off. <laughs> but now you've become a very much an aficionado of it and I've read uh, your account of the Yarra Street Everest, um, which is good. You're, so, you're conveying actually that sort of, I can imagine the depths at some of those stages must have what it felt like. But mm. the encouragement that you got along sounded very much like a community effort in the end, didn't it? <clears throat> yeah, so that Yarra Street one was actually this Paul Delgano guy I mentioned. So he wrote a blog about that Yarra Street Everesting for my blog for the Climbing Cyclist back in 2014. So he, he was intimately connected with this whole thing early on. 
and yeah, he definitely found that it was just very much a, a community vibe. So it wasn't just him out there riding repeats. It was, you know, local residents coming out to support him, other cyclists coming out, people even just driving past and giving him support. And yeah, that was certainly something that I found when I finally got around to doing my own Everesting seven years later was just how much support there was out there from, you know, friends and family to um, cycling mates to cyclists that I'd never met to just residents of the local street who came out at all hours of the day and night to just clap me on or had written things on the road or put signs in their window encouraging me on or just things like that. And I think that was one of the the most memorable parts of the whole experience was just how it felt like a community experience. And I, yeah, very grateful for, for that experience. It's interesting how much, um, because obviously there's the physical challenge um, and a lot of people talk about, and you do quite a bit in the book about the psychological challenge mm. you have to get through. And then you've just touched on the other element, which is that, that sense of being a part of something bigger and that community sense. Mm. So it's a, a really layered experience. Yeah, it's sort of a, I guess, a micro community event in the sense that you're you're doing this thing on one street or road and you've got other people immediately around you. But it's also this bigger thing as well. It's particularly, you know, online with social media, there's, you know, um, groups on Facebook, on Strava, on other platforms as well, where Everesters, you know, congregate and share tips with each other about how to get through it or advice on particular roads to do or anything from, you know, the minutiae of logistics or whatever it might be, um, you really do feel like you're part of something bigger and there's, there's people out there to, to help you through it. Um, I think that's really cool. You know, it's, it's hard. It's a, cha- a personal challenge, but it does feel like you're part of something much bigger as well. Matt, if you spend a bit of time climbing Everest, you spend a bit of time getting prepared, making sure you've got everything ready. The same for when you go out Everesting, you've all that's planned down your food intake. Yeah, I, I, how prepared was I? I had enough, more than enough food than I thought I would need for the day. But I think the key thing was that I took, um, I guess, a mixture of different things because I, I'd never done a ride that long before, and it ended up being sixteen yeah. hours on the bike, about twenty hours in total time. <laughs> And the body does weird things to you after that amount of time. And I wasn't sure how it would react and what I would feel like. So I hadn't, I knew I had enough food, but I wanted to have a, a mix of different things. And I think that's a very personal thing. You need to know what your body does and what it's capable of. And um, <clears throat> I've done a few long rides to know what I would and wouldn't feel like, but I, I wanted to have that selection of things there. And um, yeah, I found that preparing myself as well as I could really helped me psychologically going into it. And I know a lot of other people are the same where you try and remove all the possible things that could go wrong and leave yourself with, you know, just the challenge itself, um, which is significant. Obviously you don't need other stuff like forgetting food or drink or mechanical or whatever, derailing your effort when it's hard enough as it is. And with your training, um, obviously you can train physically, but how do you prepare yourself mentally? for how you're going to feel at 2 a.m. on lap 88. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
the as you know in the book i, I um interviewed a psychologist sports psychologist about this about what i could do to prepare and um you know one of the things he said was just put yourself in uncomfortable positions as much as you can and get used to getting through it so he said you know during the training process go out late at night when you really don't want to um if it starts raining when you're going to go for a ride go out anyway you know, stay out there for longer than you were going to, um, go and do some hill repeats when you're dead tired and you just cannot be bothered because there are going to be moments during the ride where that's exactly how you feel. And the more experience you've got of going through that and knowing that you can get through it, um, the better you'll be on the day. And there were certainly rides that I did where, um, I went out in conditions I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have normally. And, I'd like to think I was stronger for those experiences. Um, yeah, I think it's just about getting yourself experience in those situations and, and knowing that you are capable um, and of pushing through when things are uncomfortable. There's, um, I was quite intrigued, Matt, with when you chose your route, mm. you had criteria and one of them was choosing somewhere that meant something to you personally that mm. had some personal yeah. significance and i was wondering was that something other everesters do yeah i think i think it varies from person to person i i know there definitely are people that have done that um there are people that have done everests on um uh, climbs that they've raced a bunch of times before or that have some other personal significance um i think for a lot of people it comes down to more practical factors like what's close by um what's the right gradient for my riding style what are the weather conditions like what's the status of the climb um so is it a you know an epic climb like mont ventoux or alpe d'huez or something with a real you know sense of history about it that gives it a significance um yeah i think it's a very personal thing and i I think that's one of the many cool things about the challenge is it's an infinitely personal, um, personalizable challenge. You know, you can put your own spin on it however you want to. And for me, part of that was wanting to do a climb that was um, quite close to where I grew up as a kid. So every lap that I did, I could see my old house just up the road and my base camp for my ride was set up in a park where we used to play as kids and used to throw the Frisbee and kick the footy with dad and, you know, I remember riding a go-kart down the hill there that my dad and my brother had built up and I wrecked it the first time that I rode it down there. And, you know, so just little things like that. It just had moments that, you know, that I would come back to throughout the ride and would give it a significance more than just some 500-metre stretch of suburban back street. Um, and, yeah, I really liked that. I liked that it was um, it was my own challenge. I was doing something that a lot of people had done, but, nobody had done it on that street before and nobody had that particular significance for it. So. And does it help with the challenge? Do you think like when you, you talk about spotting the house that you grew up in, mm. is, was that actually like a moment that helps while you're on the ride? Yeah, I think it did actually. I think it just gave me little things, little memories. It would trigger different memories as I'd come past. I'd see, you know, the, the retaining wall at the front and remember my dad building that, or I'd remember the 
the garage and remember, you know, days of tinkering with bikes there or, you know, I could see the entrance to the rumpus room. I remember playing like um, yeah, playing guitar with my, my brothers, playing music with my brothers and just little memories there that would just distract me from the monotony and the pain of the ride. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that sort of thing really helps. Matt, can I ask, obviously, if we're going up all the time, we've got to come down at some stage. What's the mind space like on the descent? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it varies throughout the day. You go through so many ups and downs well, physically as you know, literally as well as emotionally, psychologically. Um, there are times when it was just bliss, you know, just, ah, this is, I get a chance to kind of stretch out and relax. Roll your shoulders. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Roll your shoulders and have a look around and wave to friends and family who are standing there and, and clapping me on. Um, other times it was pretty miserable to be honest you know that had few pockets of rain where it was cold and wet for my ride and I couldn't wait for the descents to be over and also there's just a sense of the descent is while it's fun and it's a nice little break it's also dead time in a sense like it doesn't actually contribute to the accumulation of elevation gain which is the the game you're playing so a lot of the time I was just you know all right let's get this done let's turn around let's go up again and you kind of uh, you're trying trying to find a rhythm. I think is a big part of it, and the, each descent breaks you out of that rhythm a little bit of trying yeah. to get into the zone of just tapping away on the pedals. And you know, there's a whole lot of stuff there in terms of um, optimal uh, length for a segment. Like if you do a longer climb, for example, then you get a longer descent, which means a longer break, but takes you longer then to get into a rhythm. And yeah. this. Yeah. This climb that I did was only 500 meters long, so I got a lot of little breaks, which was good. But it meant that I had to refocus a lot more times. So, um, yeah, it's sort of varied, I guess. And I can see how you know, one you're getting feedback from the bike all the time. The other one, you the feedback is quite minimal, and uh, mm. you like you say, you're floating a little bit. You need the mm. recovery. I presume you're not recovering at all when you're descending anyway, really, in a lot of ways. Not really. I didn't think I was. I mean, yeah, not more than just being able to roll my shoulders out or stretch my back or whatever it might have been. You know, it's for me, it was about three minutes up, one minute down. Um, so, and there's a pretty not sharp turn, but there was a turn where I had to uh, concentrate quite a bit to turn left. Uh, so um, it wasn't a long flowing descent by any means where I had a chance to fully kind of relax or anything like that. <laughs> In the book, you mention um, quite a few people who've gone on to do multiple Everestings. Is there any chance you will be doing that? Good question. I have thought about that. Um, <laughs> probably not. I would need to have a reason to do it. I think just doing it for the sake of it probably wouldn't hold my attention. I think I would need to do it um, either for some for charity, for example, or uh, for as part of a bigger event or to support somebody else doing one or maybe possibly just to challenge myself in terms of doing something steeper and faster. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I Sometimes I think I will. Other times I think that I very much tick that box and I'm happy never to do it ever again. Um, it sort of depends on my mindset day to day, but I wouldn't rule it out but I'm certainly not going to go and do a hundred of them like someone like John O'Egan in Sydney has done where he seems to do one every other weekend. And yeah. It's yeah. just a machine. 
I, I can't let George Mallory's great quote go past here. When asked why he climbed Mount Everest, his answer, the great three-word answer of all time, because it is there. <laughs> Matt? <laughs> yep. You're going to do two, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if um, listeners want to get a hold of the book, where can they uh, find it? Yeah, so it's available uh, for pre-order now, but I think um, by the time this, this is going to air, I think um, it'll be on shelves very soon after. It'll be available in all good bookshops um, through the Hardy Grant website, through any online retailers that you would normally use. I think it should be available pretty much anywhere. But yeah, I think, yeah, just your local bookshop, support your local bookshop if you can. I think that's worthwhile doing for sure. Yeah, so that's Everesting. And um, we'll provide a link to the climbing cyclists too, so I'm sure. And just in case we didn't mention it, that's 880, I mean, 8,800 metres. 848, is it? 48, is it? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, yes, the glacier's melting. It keeps well, the other one, yeah. <laughs> 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Backrose Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics, and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. Well, we know where we're going, but we don't know where we've been.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.